Welcome back. We're speaking uh, as Bishop Daly from the Diocese of Spokane with uh, the vicars, Father Connell, Vicar General, Father Pat Chris, Vicar for Priests, and Father Lee, uh, Vicar for Finance. One of the things we like to speak about in this theme of evangelization, our topic for our, our two episodes uh, of this, this show, um, is the challenges we face. We talked about the audience, uh, people known as the nuns, those without religion, but um, what um, what have you found uh, in your experience as pastors working with people with a variety of uh, years of ordination um, has become the greatest challenge? We mentioned, Pat, about the um, parents and grandparents' frustration about their kids uh, not seeing the importance of going to Mass. Um, are there any other um, difficulties or challenges that you have found uh, um, in your pastoral experiences that, that make evangelization more difficult or something that some people want to shy away from? Well, I think thoughts? our society, our culture isn't as conducive to the message of Jesus Christ as it perhaps was in past generations, that there's more uh, that flows against it and even tries to obstruct uh, the, the beautiful message that we have of Jesus Christ and, and his salvation. So I believe that's another challenge we face is how to confront the the society in which we live and bring the message of Christ in a, in a meaningful way to people. Cause uh, again, it's not one that gets a lot of, of external support just in, in the structures of, of the society in which we live. Not that there's none there, but uh, it, it does become a challenge. I believe that that's, uh, that's one. I remember a frustration that a, a teacher had um, uh, Colleen uh, at the time McGuigan now Colleen France. She was just starting out teaching this is about two or three years into uh, her teaching at, at Marin Catholic, and one of the things she had mentioned that she had noticed uh, just the brief few years she was there, and I was, of course, teaching also, that in the beginning, um, students wouldn't question about Jesus as Savior, Jesus as God. Uh, they might have struggled with God and man, but within um, uh, a few years, uh, the comment was made, by a, by a student, well, who is this Jesus? I mean, who are you to say that Jesus is the Son of God? Suddenly, the whole uh, notion of Jesus uh, as 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 truth. Um, this individual came in and, and basically said, you know, what good is Jesus? Who's that? I mean, and that's that's a shift. Suddenly, people are saying, well, Jesus, Jesus, if it, if it's Jesus is true, he was one of many, and I think that is a market shift in. Uh, the beliefs uh, or lack of belief in, in our people. I think sometimes we uh, go inside out. I was looking at various uh, five-year strategic plans that they've done had at St. Augustine's over the last years. The first one is back, I think, in the 90s, and the thing that came out is we have to find ways of bringing the young people in, and we have to do something about music and make the liturgy more lively. Then the next one was done in, oh, 2000 five or seven, I think it was, another five-year plan. And the thing that came out there is we have to find a way to get the young people to come to church and make the music uh, better and the liturgy more lively. <laughs> then I looked at the KLS one that they did uh, just a couple of years ago, and it was, it was the same thing. And sometimes I think uh, we work it inside out. You know, well, how, what are we going to do to entertain people as opposed to really have something that draws them. And that's why, you know, it would be like if you were to look for the uh, 
elusive Quetzal of um, the Kuchimatani Mountains. And he said, well, that's outside Cincinnati, just, Ohio, isn't it? Beautiful. I, I thought beautiful. That. Or, or uh, you know, Lake Winnipesaukee. So bird watchers, you're going there. Well, or the, as I mentioned before, the Socorro um, Kakapoo of codfish. New Zealand. Codfish Island. That's, New Zealand. Yeah. That's, that's off the coast so of Texas. So now you're looking for these elusive <laughs> birds, but you say, well, so that, you know, we can kind of enjoy this more. We're going to bring a brass band along with us. Mm-hmm. And so the brass band entertains us, but we never find the cockapoo or the quesal. Hmm. Uh, I've never thought of it in that, those I, terms. You have to, the band uh, scared uh, it away. You have to think of it. So it has to begin, as it would with the bird watchers, with the bird. It has to begin with, well, you know, how is God present and how do we unfold that as opposed to uh, again trying to market something so that it's uh, entertaining for people or and not in a bad sense entertaining but you know attractive to people it's rather how do we reveal in the mm-hmm. liturgy and in what we celebrate uh, the Lord and we have to so sometimes how I would think you we say approach the whole thing inside I, out I, I, I agree with that a hundred percent we don't often agree with but the I, with the cockapoo or the no, case all no. but uh, the, the importance of 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 not being, you know, inward out or inside out, however you had said that, but that uh, and in particular w- with the liturgy, that uh, we we strive not to entertain people, but to reveal God's presence and the Lord's presence in the liturgy, but also in, in people's lives. Which brings me to my point that I think one of the most challenging things that we have as pastors and priests is preaching, because um, I think it's the most effective thing we can. The effective tool we have each and every week, where we reach the largest number of people, uh, both faithful parishioners, people who are visiting, people who maybe not even be Catholic, to use that eight or nine minutes or fifteen minutes in your case, uh, <laughs> and with uh, finger puppets with Father Me, which preaching. I've asked him not to do, <laughs> to 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 make the Lord Jesus Christ concrete in people's lives. With, uh, and and that's what Jesus did. Jesus's preaching in his imagery always involved things like sheep and wheat and farming and agriculture and shepherding and all those images uh, that people knew in their every single day, every day of their life. They knew and experienced, and the Lord was able to to use those to enliven their faith. I think the same thing is true for us, to use, uh, to, to make Jesus concrete in the day, daily lives of people, going to Walmart, going to the gas station, taking kids to soccer. How, how, where is the Lord in all of that, and how is we as preachers of the word can make that uh, and I think I think that really if I can go back to the KLS that's been mentioned a couple of times and I was pretty involved in the no love and serve process from the very beginning and the methodology was very deliberate that it was not a, a strategic planning process that was going to be based on a swap model the strengths weaknesses opportunities threats it's not identify the problems and here's how we're going to fix them it was recognizing what's there where is the Lord that the Lord's been at work in our church from the very beginning, and how that how has that been manifested in the ministries of the parishes in our diocese and in the diocese as a whole, and recognizing that what are our dreams from that, building upon what's already there. And I think that's what we try to do in preaching. Uh, if I can defer to the Jesuit spirituality, Ignatian, you know, finding God in all things, to, to start with those eyes, looking at the world, and then how can we help people to find Christ in their own lives. And I think that's evangelization. And that's The uh, priests gather uh, for a convocation uh, in September, and the shift uh, as the seventh bishop is to turn these days um, as 
ongoing formation. And the topic this year for the priests is going to be on preaching uh, and how uh, we uh, can more effectively proclaim God's Word, uh, certainly uh, in speech, but most especially in how we live our lives. I think um, when we speak of evangelization, we forget that uh, the people who are in front of us in the pews on Sunday and in the desks in our schools during the week or faith formation programs, um, that audience there we have in front of us, and we should do the best we can to proclaim uh, the gospel, to preach, and that's why preaching is very important and why uh, the priests of this diocese, as well as the deacons and their ongoing formation, uh, must have um, must have opportunities to better the skill of preaching. Some, obviously, even amongst the vicars are better. Um, even, again, Father Me, with your props that you're often known for, I mean, based upon the amount of letters that come to, across my desk every Monday and Tuesday. <laughs> Finger uh, complaints uh, coming across the yes. desk. <laughs> but... Um, we mentioned, uh, as I said, the themes of uh, the Convocation for Catholic Leaders, which had that topic, uh, unity, renewal, witness, and, and mission. Um, what about the ex- witness? I know that the words, again, of Paul VI that, uh, about the importance of teachers, and with the break, Father Gers uh, was talking about um, uh, apologetics. Now, the class that I taught for years was the why behind what the church teaches. I felt it was a great way for our young people when they went off to college, they were seniors, to uh, explain when people would say, well, you went to a Catholic school, why does the church teach what it does on marriage, on on the life issues? Um, and um, I felt they needed to be equipped with an explanation. However, uh, bringing people to the truth uh, sometimes can be very heavy-handed, and uh, it's not going to be what we say as much as the witness, as, as Paul the Sixth talked about. If we're going to be effective in teaching, it's because we're witnesses first. And with that, we're going to take a break and then come back and, and see how in our parishes and in our schools, knowing the challenges we face in evangelization, how we might first begin to give witness. Welcome back. We're talking about the theme of evangelization, and uh, it is um, very much a topic that is spoken about both as uh, the church universal and in our local uh, church in the United States. uh, That We had a convocation of Catholic leaders in July in Orlando that uh, addressed some of these topics with um, the themes of unity, renewal, witness, and mission. Father Connell, you were speaking about the work of focus, and you want to explain to the listening audience what focus is and, and what they're about in light of this theme of evangelization? Well, it, it, it kind of, uh, again, uh, dovetails or piggybacks with what you were saying about um, revealing God and evangelizing in a way that isn't uh, heavy-handed, and uh, focus immediately comes to mind because um, for, for uh, a long time, I think all of us have kind of admired uh, the witness of Mormon missionaries uh, on Saturday morning walking through the neighborhood, you, you know, young college-age people, uh, guys in their black pants and white shirt and tie, uh, you know, when they go on mission, that's an admirable thing, and, and it's an essential part of what it means to be a Mormon. And I think a lot of us have, have kind of wished we had our own uh, Mormon missionaries for the Catholic faith. And uh, as long as somebody else does it, right? Well, yeah, yeah. The, the, not, uh, we could get you a white shirt. I'm too busy. I'd spill something on Make it. Make sure it's it, a it, stout. I'd have stains on it. Yeah, uh, or extra uh, husky. Bolognese. <laughs> <stains>. No coffee. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's right. I couldn't have any coffee. Um, 
but we do now in the church, and it's very exciting that we have uh, FOCUS, which is uh, FOCUS is an acronym for uh, Fellowship of Catholic University Students, and we have FOCUS uh, missionaries on the campus uh, of Eastern Washington University and also Washington State University. Father Paul Herrick and Father Luke Thompson are the chaplains, and these are young people, uh, you know, 20-ish people who uh, are on fire with their love for Jesus Christ. They they have a personal commitment to Jesus Christ, and they go out uh, on the campuses of Eastern Washington University and Washington State, and their primary goal, their first, as I understand it, is to build virtuous friendships. So they, they just they play Frisbee or you know different soccer games or whatever, and then they, they start with a friendship first, a one-on-one friendship, and then they begin, um, uh, and then the next step is invitation, invite them to a Bible study or mass. Uh, and by... By building those genuine friendships, they, they get to know each other on a deeper level, and they teach others, that uh, they share with others their own commitment and love of Christ, and then how to pass that on. And these missionaries, if you've met them, are really impressive young people. Uh, they're, uh, again, as I said, they're on fire for, for, for Jesus, and they're able to share that, um, which reminds all of us, I think, that, that the best way that we can evangelize is for ourselves to know Jesus Christ personally. There's a Latin phrase, you correct me if I'm wrong, but nebo dot quad non habet, Father me. One cannot give what one does not possess. And if we're going to give that relationship with Jesus to others, we have to first have it ourselves. And focused missionaries uh, definitely have that. I'd like to add to that, uh, Papir sumego nihil habio cormeo dabo. Uh-oh. I think he's having a stroke. <laughs> it's but time for Bolognese. Bolognese time. Um, you, men- you mentioned unity, Bishop, as uh, one of the one of the um, factors in all of this. And um, there was a book that came out last year, 2016, Great Catholic Parishes by William Simon. And in it, he uh, the first part of it, he gives kind of a historical perspective of in the United States, uh, more so than you'd find in Catholic countries or in Europe, Catholic Europe, uh, the importance of the parish. And he gave as a reason for that is during that great influx of immigration from Catholic countries between the 1850s and 1920, there was still a a great anti-Catholicism in the United States. And therefore, those Catholics that came over, they very much huddled around and in their parishes, not only for the spiritual life, but the social life as well. And so uh, parishes were very vibrant. And I think one of the things, of course, uh, in the last 50, 60 years, that has broken down as in as far as people, uh, Catholics no longer felt a need to find uh, simply support in the parish and uh, their life, social life as well as spiritual life being completely in the parish. Because of that, because that has broken down, I think we've seen uh, parishes themselves do not seem as strong as they once were because there's no longer a need as much so for that fortress uh, for Catholics. But in that, uh, then the unity seems to have broken down as well. So part of the question of this new evangelization or evangelization is, well, what is that which today unites us all as Catholics? Not doctrinally, we know what that is, but I mean, um, in the culture, in our behavior, how could you uh, walk down the street and say, um, if, as Father Connell mentioned, the Mormon missionaries, well, you can spot them, you know who they are. Is there a way, 
that you can simply know that one is a Catholic. And I, that might be too, too black and white, but I remember back in the days again uh, when Fridays were a day of abstaining from meat. You can see I keep going back to that topic. As a kid going out to uh, football games at Joe Elby Stadium, you know, and uh, you watch at that time, there were six high schools in the city league, and so you could watch three games as well. But in those days when still there was no meat on Fridays, you could always tell the Catholics, or most of them at least, because they might be eating popcorn or drinking uh, Coke, but they weren't eating the hot dogs or hamburgers. So, I mean, there were visual expressions of living out our Catholicism uh, that united us. And those don't, well, uh, that's my question. What are those that we have today? Well, you had mentioned about, obviously, the doctrinal aspect of it, of the creed. But again, what what is it that unifies um, uh, our, our faith? I mean, we had the rosary, and I suppose... Um, the Rosary Crusade is one aspect of it to gather to people with Eucharistic adoration, but at a time when um, people claim to be individuals, and yet there's a distinct way that people dress. I know, Father Me, very popular up until probably maybe just yesterday, you would be wearing a leisure suit and a members-only jacket. Uh, still, it's at the dry cleaners. The dry cleaners, yes, but, and, and it's a little tight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, I'm talking, hard to get anymore. And, yeah, and well, it's the same green. thing with you, Darren. But wow. it's um, uh, but as far as what what is it? I mean, we. Well, I, I just want to yeah. say something about. I mean, yeah. I, uh, to follow up on what Father Me said about uh, fast days, that you're talking about it as if it's in the past, and yet, I mean, one of the challenges we have, I think, is to remind people that. Uh, you know what the teaching is on something like uh, abstaining from meat on Fridays, because that really is remains the 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 law of the church, the universal law of the church to abstain from meat on Fridays. Um, the, the, the well, you ca- better explain that a little. Or, catch- to, or to substitute another well, penance. That's that was and the, that's that was the change. Yes, I, so that you don't have that unity now. Because yes, you're right. Uh, that's still uh, Paul VI didn't do away with that, but he says, but there's other things one might do. But I think our people are ignorant by and large. I know I was. Uh, even are you speaking of your parishioners? No, well, no, no the St. Augustine parishioners actually. <laughs> not, not, oh, not oh, no, just kidding, St. Augustine. Oh, yeah. Love St. Augustine uh, parishioners. Um, no, in, in all seriousness, I, I did not. I wasn't aware really of that. Of that as the universal law of the church, and so we actually have been talking about that. You know. Uh, on occasion at the cathedral, and I have found that it does make a difference, that people, more and more of my people, are trying to abstain f- from meat on Friday, and uh, and when they can't, they, they ask me, well, you know, I was just asked last Sunday, what should I substitute for on Friday? We're not going to be able to abstain from meat. So I think we can recapture some of those those well, identifiers and those markers. I think you bring up, that is just one aspect of it. I, I think that uh, our executive producer, uh, Hillary Hammett, was talking about the church's Another way we are unified, although it's not all we've lived in our previous talking about that one elected official who you're not allowed to mention. Whose name starts with a P? Yeah. We, um, and we're not saying the state? We, uh, California. Oh, excuse me. Okay. <laughs> we're going to tell about the church being Land tr- it's it's truly, it's truly <laughs> countercultural. I mean, you would think that the church is, uh, you know, the why behind what we do, why we care about the poor. Why on issues of uh, the social justice, which, as I said, was the convocation of bringing it to pro-life. We are a pro-life church. Uh, we have caring concern for the poor, the immigrant. Uh, those are aspects of the church's role. One aspect of it, we know that 
where we're talking about fasting and abstinence. We are we're a Eucharistic community, uh, a sacramental church. But Father Curse, what do you what do you see in addition to what unifies us? In addition to what we've talked about, I believe. Well, perhaps is getting less and less significant, but and maybe this is a little extreme. But one thing that unifies Catholics, I think, is that they're going to take advantage of their right to a Catholic funeral. Regardless of how they've been living out their Catholic faith through the years, anointing of the sick as well, and it's one of those things where Catholicism goes right to the bone. You may have even identified yourself as not Catholic, not just a non-practicing Catholic, but when it's the moment of death, uh, the kids say, "You know what? I think Dad was Catholic. Let's have a Catholic Mass." Now, maybe that's less and less the reality, but and maybe not the greatest example of what unites us, but perhaps it is that sense of. Our Catholic faith is so rich and deep that it does go right to the bone of people, and they may not practice our faith, but if at the end of the day, are you, what are you? I'm Catholic. And I think connected with that would be, even though we've talked about a year of mercy, we have missionaries of mercy, um, Monsignor Pearson's a missionary of mercy, Father Dan Barnett's a missionary of mercy, Father Mike Blackburn, the Franciscan pastor of St. Francis, missionaries of mercy. I think is what unifies us is in a society and we'll right, take a break in a, in a moment. In the words of the great Sulpician rector, Father Howard Bleitner, rector when I was at um, St. Patrick's and Father Connell interviewed. I interviewed and hired. Uh, um, hired. Father Bleitner said, this is a culture that permits everything and forgives nothing. And yet we are a people who believe in God's love and mercy. And I think that unifies us, I would hope, especially in the sacrament of penance. We're going to take a break and we're going to, hear about Father uh, Mee's insights into the times we, he was at Kakapoo Island, which is an amusement park outside <laughs> Corpus Christi, Texas. <laughs> we welcome you back to uh, Bishop and the Vicars. We're talking about evangelization, and um, some of the things is we're in the, the final moments of our show, is how practically um, is evangelization uh, lived? And both as a, as a diocesan and as a church throughout the world, uh, the Vatican has websites, but uh, Father Connell, you uh, were part of a team that restructured how the Diocese of Spokane evangelized and using media. You want to speak about that before yeah, so, we go to more personal? Sure. So we, uh, in, in looking at all the ways the diocese communicates, uh, one of the conclusions was obviously that we uh, need to up our participation in, in, in social media, and um, we've done that. And one of the things I've noticed, for example, um, on your Twitter account, Bishop, that uh, when you send out tweets about events that you've been at, a parish dedication, a blessing or something, they're liked and things. But the, the, the tweets that are most liked and most retweeted, interestingly enough, are those in which you've offered some kind of um, spiritual insight uh, you know, a, a call to uh, invoking the Blessed Virgin Mary or, or some spiritual insight. Lots of likes and lots of retweets. Much more popular than just some of the things that that you're doing uh, as Bishop around the diocese. Not that that's not important. Wow. A lot of dislikes there. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it 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 does reinforce uh, our need as a church uh, to take advantage of social media in terms of evangelization and for parish and parishioners, you know, to to, to talk with fellow parishioners and and your pastor about. How the parish can engage in in social media. We at the cathedral have uh, a flock note, which we send out texts and emails regarding events like 
if someone, uh, when someone's funeral is, a person dies, or uh, prior to holy days, you know, the holy days on a Thursday, we send it out Wednesday, and our our it just reminds people uh, and, and and brings more people uh, to mass on those on those at those times. Um, I also think of and Father Me will love this. Uh, it helps with with raising uh, funds for the parish, and uh, we always uh, promote the annual Catholic appeal on the uh, on flock note. Again, you'd be very happy with that, Father. Me, very, very happy. Um, but there's a whole <clears throat> there's a whole wealth of of tools that we can use uh, to help evangelize and spread our faith in, uh, in Jesus Christ. And um, I just uh, our director of communication, our executive director of communications, Mitchell Palmquist, told me that uh, there's a suggestion that. Uh, individual people tithe 10% of their postings on social media to the Catholic faith. So for all of, for everyone who's listening, uh, maybe that could be a challenge for you to, to tithe 10% of everything that you post, photos, videos, links, blogs, to promoting the Catholic faith. Along with this newfangled manner of evangelization around social media, there's also the old school method of the very visible ways we express our Catholicity. We were speaking in earlier in the first part of this topic about uh, beauty. And one expression of that beauty is in religious art. And we have that in our churches and also Catholic families in their homes. One thing that perhaps unites Catholic families is there's stuff in their home that just screams the presence of God and engages us through all of our senses. When I was a kid growing up, as soon as you walked in the house, came to the living room and there was this huge Bible I don't know it ever got opened except to get some of the money out that was kept inside there. But that was very visible on the, the coffee room or coffee table in the living room. A big crucifix right as you walked into the house on the, the wall as you went into the dining, dining room. And then a, a religious art, a sacred heart picture on the side. And I think that that carries on. I, I've taken with me everywhere I've lived uh, a cross that was given to me, a crucifix that I understand was the one that was placed on my uh, grandfather's casket at his funeral, but somehow didn't make it inside the casket, but made it into my hands. So uh, that goes with me everywhere. I mean, well, we had a, a, a trooper, Joe Pass of the Washington State Patrol, um, who I got to know. Uh, well, his mom passed away, and he had a beautiful crucifix that was in his mom's room at a um, independent living, uh, assisted living, and gave it to uh, Father Connell. And there was, uh, with great pride, his mom in her late 90s spoke about what this uh, had come from Europe and had been a part of a house. And um, at Christmas time, just something to be aware of before we hear from Father B, um, to really ask our people, though this is months away, to make sure, do you have a nativity scene in your home? Uh, what are your Christmas cards like? Do you have uh, characters from um, comic books uh, dressed up with Santa hats out front your lawn, warranting or begging as uh, for kids to vandalize? Um, or do you have something religious of Jesus and Mary? Uh, I guess that's one, one area. Uh, patron saints, uh, in, in, uh, pictures, um, just as we heard it was in the old cursed home. Um, uh, those are just one way that we evangelize because most people don't have, who aren't Catholic, these religious symbols, which allows for a conversation. Same thing with saints' names. Father Me, you were going to give us some insight. I don't know if it was a travel plan or uh, evangelization, and we have less than a minute, but something, <laughs> something <laughs> Very quickly. Take, take your time. No, I would just go back to what Father Kirst and what you were just speaking about as far as um, personal evangelization and unity with others in the Catholic faith. Part, that can be how one decorates one's home. A lot of times those crucifixes that used to be in the living room 
Now it might be in the bedroom or in one of the back rooms, but really, um, at least in one's own home, being very public about their faith. And that certainly spreads or is a reminder to everyone in the family and anyone entering uh, into the home that this is a Catholic family that lives here. I agree. I remember as a boy, a, a kid coming from school, from a private school that my older brother was in, and he looked, he came to visit, and he, we just had a simple statue of Jesus that was given to me at First Communion, and a miniature little plastic monstrance. I don't know if they had that in Washington, probably because it wasn't as Catholic as San Francisco, but we had it. didn't have the actual presence of Jesus. Glad you said was. Uh, San yes, Francisco was Yes, Catholic. was. And, um, and I remember the comment by this, this kid who had, didn't have any particular religion. And um, uh, so I think those are very, very important. Um, same thing with the Christmas cards. I had a conversation with my brother. I said, this is not an advertisement for uh, various sporting attire for your kids. Uh, it, can you have at least something of the message of Jesus, which he thought about and promptly did because I'm one of his, his older brother. Um, <laughs> we are uh, just about out of time, and I think one of the devotion, one of the reflections we had that first night was uh, Mary, Mother of Evangelization, and the the theme of that was um, Mary as the patroness of the United States, and her title is Immaculate Conception, was someone, Mary unites uh, all cultural families and faith expressions, and it was a way to ask for Mary's intercession in this new evangelization, as we did when we had our Rosary Crusade and Eucharistic procession. It might be appropriate if we uh, conclude this, this time together as we pray together, Hail Mary, full, full of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Lord, pray, pray for us, us. Love Jesus in our hearts forever. forever. Amen. God bless and thank you. Thank you.